Welcome. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we come to you as a church now, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to pray together and to lift up our church to you. This is such a wonderful privilege that we have. All around the world this very moment, there are people living in countries where they must pray in secret. Yet we, Lord, can unashamedly come in here and pray together. It's so precious, Lord, that you have given us a church, but it is a privilege, Lord, that you've allowed us to worship in plain sight. Lord, don't let us neglect our fellowship together. Don't let us forsake the privilege that you've given to us. Men and women around the world this very morning risk life and limb to be together. And Lord, so many of us would forsake our Sunday mornings together. Lord, don't allow us to forsake the assembling together. Lord, let us have a zeal for Sunday mornings. Not just to be here, but at our work with our friends, with our loved ones. Let us mark out this time as the special time of our week. As the time that we will not forsake, as the time that is a non-negotiable time to be together. And not because, Lord, you'll hate us if we don't. Not because, Lord, if we miss a Sunday, it's sin. Not, not for those reasons, but because it is such a privilege to be together. Lord, it is such a privilege to see my brothers and sisters and to serve them. Thank you for letting me have the privilege of laboring in teaching and preaching. Lord, how grateful I should be. Lord, I know in the week when I'm tired and I'm broken down and I don't want to study anymore, Lord, forgive me when I complain of that because this is such a privilege to come and teach and serve your people to labor in teaching and preaching. Thank you, God. But Lord, each and every one of us have a service to provide for your church. Each and every one of us have been gifted in one way or another to be a member of one body in which you are the head and you tell the body where to turn and you use the body how you choose to use it. But Lord, let none of us say to one another that that part of the body is less significant than the other because, Lord, you tell us in your word that all of us are members of the same body and that we are all equal and significant. No, we don't do the same thing, but we are all equal and significant. Lord, our church misses us when we're not here. 
There is a void when we are not here. We are without the privilege of serving and being served by those who would forsake the assembling together. Lord, I pray that this church would have zeal for Sunday. But Lord, I pray that this church would have zeal for brothers and sisters. Lord, we fail if we show up and we hate one another. We fail if we show up and we bring racism with us. We fail if we show up and we bring our, our social class with us. We fail if we show up and we bring our privilege in the, in the space of our spiritual journey. We fail if we come here and we put ourselves above others. If we see ourselves as holier than others. We fail, Lord, if we are not humble to one another. It's not just being here, Lord, that you want from us. But when we are here, Lord, create in us a spirit that only your spirit can give us an eagerness to stir up love and good works. Let us ask ourselves today introspectively, what good work have I done today for my church? How have I served my church today? Was I a, a blessing or a burden today? By my attitude and by my spirit. God, let us love one another. I pray for our nation, Lord. Keep us from war. Keep us from internal conflicts, Lord. The, the world won't solve the problem of racism. And it's trying to, Lord. Only you can solve the problem of racism, Lord. Of course, Lord, there is racial injustice in this country. It is the great sin of this country. Racial injustice is the great sin of this country because this country forsook its God and ran after money and ran after ethnic hierarchy rather than running after humility and meekness like Christ. Lord, I pray that you would start a revival in this country. Let them see that things will get so bad that they can't get better until they get down on their knees and call out to God. Lord, start the revival in this country, in this city, in this church. Lord, we can start the revival if we will start in ourselves loving you. The world will not love you and the world will not love your church until we love you and we love your church. Lord, teach us to love you in your church and to see that by this, the rest of the world will know Jesus. We love you, Lord. Lord, open hearts today. Every word we speak, every word I speak this morning means nothing if you don't open hearts. Lord, there are people here today that are dead in trespasses and sin, as dead as every body across the street in that cemetery is dead. They are spiritually dead. But through the preaching of your word, we hope and we have hope that you open hearts. 
So, Lord, through the preaching of your word this morning, open hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 5. I titled this sermon right before I got up here. If you see me in the middle of a song, grab my pad. It's, I just now wrote down the title. Alan is, I am a nuisance forever to Alan and to Chooks because I never get them a title on time. That's because I just got it. The, the title of this sermon is simply this, How to Live in Miami. Because you know the verse I'm going to preach from. How to Live in Miami. Miami has jaded us. We are some of the meanest people in America and in the world. Nobody ever says, I want to go live in that happy city, Miami. Miami's hard. Nobody knows how to drive. We get in our car and we become the meanest. It's like salvation goes out the window when we enter our car. Love your neighbor. Stupid idiot. Learn how to drive. Y'all laugh because it's true. We get in the grocery store and people push on us and they're pushy and they're cranky and they're angry. And we want to lash out. We want to we control ourselves and control our situation by yelling at them and by, by taking it out on them and by being angry at them and by, by showing that if they get us, we're going to get them back. That's the, the mentality of 305. We're going to get you back. The baddest football team ever to step on a college football field in honor of college football season were the Miami Hurricanes, and they were bad. And they said that was Miami. It really is. And Jesus comes and says, I want you to live in this city, in this part of the city. Because you know that there are different parts of Miami. There are those beautiful parts of Miami. And there are those really rich parts of Miami. And, and we're not in that one. That's not us. We got the harder time. Jesus says, be gentle. While everyone around us is deserving of our wrath, while we would love to be wicked, Jesus says, be gentle. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the Beatitudes, just a, a brief review, the Beatitudes are kingdom blessings. Every culture in, the, in that day, the Greeks and the Jews were the two main cultures. And a Beatitude is a genre of literature, and every culture had a blessed way of living. And it's the same today. You're blessed if you do this. And I, I won't get into the, the, the way that the different cultures have different virtues, but suffice it to say that every culture has its own set of virtues. And now Jesus is going to begin 
He is preaching to his disciples. He is going to preach about how we, as his followers, should be blessed. What virtues should the Christian have? Last week we learned that, that, that not every, we, we, we don't just choose which beatitude to have. We're to have all the beatitudes. Every beatitude is to be a character trait of the Christian life. Jesus is saying, okay, your culture tells you to be strong and don't take nothing from no one, but I say be gentle, be meek. And when someone asks you for your cloak, give them your tunic as well. And when someone asks you to walk a mile, walk with them too. And every last one of us finds that to be a counterintuitive principle. This may be the hardest beatitude for us to have. But these virtues that Jesus is giving transcend our culture and they become the watershed moment where we say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, over what instinct and culture tells me to do. Culture says be strong. Culture says revile. Culture says if they insult me, I'm going to insult them back. But you say be meek. That's what I'm going to do. That's where we have to get to this morning. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to define meekness. Meekness is not being passive. Meekness does not being a passive person. Meekness does not simply mean weakness. Meekness is not being effeminate. That's not what meekness is. And we hear of the meek and lowly Jesus. We hear that there was no one more meek than any man than Moses in the Old Testament. But meekness is not simply weakness. It is not being passive. Meekness is strength under control. It is strength under control. And think about, if, for those of you who have a child, if you ever let a child hold a puppy. When We love puppies in our house. Stephanie more than me, but we love puppies in our house. And one of the things that we do is we'll take Claire to the store, to the pet store, and let her just hold the puppy. She wants to buy every one, so maybe, that, that we, maybe we need to stop doing that. But we, hold, we let her hold the puppy. And the one thing we say more than anything to her is what? Be gentle. Be gentle. Because we see that she's strong. We see that she has strength. We know that if that strength gets out of control, she can hurt the puppy. Fathers to your sons and daughters and husbands to your wives, be gentle. It's not that we think you're any less of a man. It's that we see you're strong. It's that we know your might and your strength, and we're saying to you, be gentle. Because if your strength gets out of control, it becomes abuse. Be gentle. This is what meekness means. 
So blessed are those who are meek. Perhaps a, a, a second definition that will also work here is strength in weakness. How we demonstrate that we are strong by showing that we are weak. Jesus is the best example of this. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 in your Bibles. So Paul commands the church in verse 3, chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And now he's going to give us the example of gentleness, of meekness, of humility. And listen to what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Is there anyone stronger in all the universe than God? No. Is there anyone stronger than Jesus? No. But Jesus did not count equality with God. His strength, something to be held on to. The word, the word there, grass, means clung, held on to. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became a man. There is nothing more meek than that. I think about what we're saying here. Jesus left a throne for a cross. Jesus, the holiest, strongest man who ever lived, God the strongest, left a throne for a cross. Our God is so much better than any other God because of this one act. He serves. No other God serves, but Jesus serves. And so in us, we are to have this mind. The mind is this, that if God is willing to empty himself of his superiority and his strength, God himself, who is holy, if he is willing to empty himself of his holiness and of his strength to be weak and to be humbled for your sake, then what is it for you, one sinner to another, to empty yourself to serve other sinners? God had every right to not serve, but he emptied himself. We have no right, and we think we do. This is strength in weakness. Turn in Psalms 37. There's two Ways we need to be strong or weak. We need to be weak before God and we need to be weak before men. But I think Psalms 37 does a good job of dealing with both. Look at Psalm 37 with me. Look at 
First off, strength in weakness is a weakness before God. We must rely on God and not in our own strength. Meekness starts by saying, I don't have all the answers. God has all the answers. You can test the, the meekness of your heart by asking this question. Are you trying to solve life's problems or are you allowing God to solve life's problems? Listen to what David said. Listen to this meekness. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. So this is the, the occasion. The occasion is we see around us evildoers everywhere. I think about how for us living in, in Miami, how we see evildoers everywhere. And it seems like they're always getting ahead and we're staying back. But listen to what David says. When you see that going on, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord, he says. Dwell in the land. Delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So here's the setting. The setting is this. We think that we have a right to get vengeance. We think that we have a right to hate those who hurt us and to be harsh with those who are harsh with us. And the Bible says, no. Be still, be gentle, be meek. Be meek. Trusting in the Lord. So our meekness begins then by looking to God and saying, it is before you, God, that I see myself completely emptied. It is before you that I realize my own inadequacies. And Lord, I know I must be meek. But here's where the difficult one comes in. I would say that the, every one of us who bowed our head this morning and prayed we had no problem confessing to God our sickness and our sin, right? None of us. We bow our head and we, yes, Lord, you tell us we're sinful. It's when the brother and sister or when other sinners tell us that we're sinful, that's where we really have the problem, isn't it? It's one thing for God to tell us we need to be meek, but don't you dare tell me to be meek. But the Bible says, be meek before men as well. Look at verses 8 and 9. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Are you going to be justified in your anger? Maybe. But do the counterintuitive thing. Refrain from your anger and forsake wrath. 
Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. That is, don't worry. Don't worry about whether or not they're going to get their comeuppings. That's not for your concern. For the evildoers in their day will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, wicked men will be no more. Though you looked carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land. This whole passage is about meekness. It is about forsaking our right to get back when those around us harm us and hurt us. This is the Spirit of Christ. The promise is this. In Matthew 23, the Bible says, Whoever exalts himself that is now on this earth will be humbled that is in the next life. So the one who wants to be exalted in this life, to have his glory, to get his vengeance, to get everything that this life has to offer, the one who wants that and exalts himself now, you get this compared to the eternity of the new heavens and the new earth. But whoever humbles himself now on this earth to those who are wicked, to our brothers and sisters, that person will be exalted in the new heaven and in the new earth. Matthew 23. So the virtue that we're seeking then this morning is strength and weakness. It is to be gentle though we are strong. And if we do so, Jesus says we shall inherit the earth. Look at Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. The first thing Christians have to realize about their new faith is that you don't get the blessings of God in this life. Not fully, not completely. That's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a heresy because it teaches that the blessings are for this life. But the blessings aren't for this life. Those houses that they teach you to stand in front of and throw your hand out and to pray that this house will be yours, don't do that in front of my house. Wait till the roof goes bad, then you can do that. But those, those people who teach you that, that if you give back, if you give 100, you'll get back tenfold, that tenfold promise you see on Christian television, that is a lie. That is a heresy. Because Christians suffer in this life, and their suffering is a self-decision to be meek. And to say, I trust that all of the sufferings of this life, Romans 8.18, are not worth comparing with the blessings in the next. I trust it. So today, I'll be meek. And until I die, I'll be meek. And I will suffer in this life for you, Jesus, because in the next, the blessings are incomparable with right now. 
Christian, we look for a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21. The first thing we have to see is that there will be a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The law of this earth is this, death and disorder. For those of you who study science, it's called the law of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. All usable energy is running towards a state of equilibrium where there will be no more energy one day. Scientists or cosmologists call this the big crunch. Scientists are so theological. The Big Bang, God said, let there be light. Bang. Light. The Big Crunch, they say, the universe is going to collapse back on itself. And God says, a new heaven and a new earth will come for the first heaven and earth will pass away. Natural men are condemning themselves and their own science. They think they found answers and the Bible has had the answers for millennia. Yes, the earth began to exist. And yes, it will wipe away. Why store up for yourself treasures on this earth? Every time you, that, that phone that you love so much, every time you buy it, it's obsolete by next month. That car you worked so hard to have, someone just ran a red light and hit it. Or the battery dies because you left it on. But... Listen, brother, I do it like once a week, so do not feel bad. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've left the lights on. But, but why live for this earth? Where moths and rust and decay and destruction and, and, and robbers and thieves and war and famine? Why live for this earth? It's just going to all die. The first thing we have to understand is that there's going to be a new earth and that the old earth is going to pass away. And the second thing is that this earth is going to be better than the first earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this. Notice that the second earth begins the same way the first earth began. God speaks it and it happens. And watch how this corrects the mistake of Eden, the sin of Eden. I heard a loud voice from the throne. That means it's God's voice. There's nobody on that throne. Save that for God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Right now, we have a partial blessing of the Holy Spirit. He's called the Comforter. Because in this time, as this world passes away, we have a foretaste of the things to come in the Holy Spirit. And we see and we long and hope for a new heaven and a new earth. And we want to see this earth the best it can be. And church, I'm telling you this, the best this earth can ever be is a church that is submissive and loves one another. That's the best this earth is ever going to be. We are to be the example of kingdom people. Right now. 
because we have the Spirit of God in us in this temporary time, the comforter of the Holy Spirit, the unity of the Spirit in the church is to be a foretaste of the blessings to come. Think about your, your time with the church as God giving you a blessing of the foretaste of that day when he will dwell with his people. But the Bible says he will dwell with them. The question we have to ask then is who is the them? Here's who the them is. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. The pure in spirit. The peacemakers. The persecuted for righteousness. The church. This promise is not for everybody. It is for those who manifest these beatitudes. That's the church. What's this new earth going to be like? Verse 4, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Just think for a second what that says. It's not that God is going to erase suffering and sorrow. It's that like a father to children he's going to wipe away every tear this is a spiritual emotional relationship a father to his children and we cry right now and we think that he's not listening and we want to know where he is and he knows trust me there's coming a day i'm going to wipe away that tear i think sometimes about this i'm sitting in 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 one room and i hear one of my children cry and there's this short period where they're running to me in tears. And it's hard for them as they're running to me. And then when they get to me, I can wipe away their tears and tell them it's going to be okay. The new earth is the place where our Father wipes away the tears of His children. But only those who are in His house will have that blessing. There's no more death. There's no more mourning for our sin. It's all gone. There's no more pain and suffering. It's all gone in the new earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not this earth, thank God, but the next. So the sufferings in this life are nothing in comparison to the blessings in the next. But there's a warning Verse 8, see these as beatitudes in reverse. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, that's the drug addict, the idolater, all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a warning here that only those who have the virtues of the Beatitudes will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. Well, how can this virtue increase in our lives? Perhaps you're wondering, if it's this good, do I have it? If it's this bad, I definitely don't want to not have it. I want to have this virtue because I want the blessing, and I sure don't want the cursing. I want to give you three ways where you can increase in this virtue. How you can increase in meekness. Number one, acknowledge your sin before God. Look at 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Just a couple books back. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Meekness begins like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If the opposite of, of meekness is, is strength, is violence, is arrogance, those who say they have no sin, they are the arrogant. But meekness begins by saying, I have sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if it's not in us, we don't get the new earth. We don't get the new heaven. If we confess our sins, though, that is, if we acknowledge our sin before God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about that. He forgives and cleanses. I heard a pastor say this past week. It's that second part, that cleansing. The first part is between me and God, but knowing that I'm cleansed is now between me and myself. I know that God has forgiven me. Now the cleansing part is where I say, I'm cleansed. There's no more guilt to be had. The way we begin to increase in the virtue of meekness is by acknowledging our sin before God. Second, we acknowledge our sin to one another. Turn to Galatians 6, 1. Galatians 6, 1. So we first acknowledge our sin to God, but we also must acknowledge our sin to one another. This is the hard part. This is the part where we as Christians have to grow. Listen to what Paul tells the churches of Galatia. Brothers, that includes sisters as well, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means if they're ensnared by it, if they're living in sin, not that somebody was peeking through their window and caught them, it means that they're ensnared. It's got them. If any one of you is, is caught, is ensnared in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Gentleness and meekness are hand in hand. The same word in Greek is often translated meekness or gentleness. And that word right there is the same word in Matthew 5, 5. Same Greek word. Confess your sins to one another. And it says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone, think about this. So in order for us to confess our sins to one another, we have to have a meek spirit. Why? Because if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So our meekness is first before God, but now it's before one another. 
Now it's, it's before one another. One of the best times ever that we had at this church was moving these pews. And I put on my shorts. Y'all don't want to see me in shorts. These legs hadn't seen a lot of sunshine. Roll up your sleeves. You're not above moving a pew. It was wonderful. It was gentle. But you know what? The hard part's not moving pews. It's acknowledging our sin. It's going to our brothers and sisters and saying, when they say you hurt me, it's saying to them, I'm sorry. I can tell you I'd much rather move a pew than ride out to meet my brother and say, I hurt you, I'm sorry. Even when I think I was right, and even when I think that he was wrong, or even when you think that they're wrong and you're right, you go and you say, I'm sorry. Because if anyone thinks of himself more highly than he should, just as this passage tells us, if he thinks he's something when he's nothing, we're deceived. The attitude is meekness. But lastly, it just grows in difficulty. We must live meek in meekness before men. Our meekness is not just before God. It's not just within these walls, but it's out there in Miami. Look at 1 Peter 3, 9. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. This is an evil and reviling city. Do not go and look like this city. You are called to be salt and light. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whenever you read that passage, I want you to say this. The blessing is the new heaven and the new earth. We have been called to endure reviling, to endure insult, and to show the meekness of Christ who, though he was God in the flesh and will ultimately one day be the judge of men, allowed himself to be judged by sinful men so that on the cross he might save sinful men. We have been called to be like Christ. We must acknowledge our sin to God in meekness. Acknowledge our sin to one another in meekness. And we must live humbly before men. Here's my challenge. What life are you living for this morning? This one or the next? If you're living for this one, 
get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. If you're living for this one, the beatitude is this. Only the strong survive. If you want what this life has to offer, I got the answer. If you want that, only the strong survive. Go out these doors and you be mean and you be tough and you be jaded and you hate. And you'll make it in this world. But as the world cries out, only the strong survive. Jesus echoes back, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray.